Welcome to the One Last Sketch Podcast, a show dedicated to science fiction and fantasy and how those things relate to history, philosophy, science, etc. I'm Michael. I'm Marie. We are tossing a coin to our Witcher on our 44th episode because we're talking about Vjedjmin, better known in the English-speaking world as the Witcher. Oh, valley of plenty, oh, valley of plenty, whoa. That song is great. That is an earworm and a half. We are mainly going to be discussing the 2019 Netflix adaptation of the first two books in Andrzej Sapkowski's seven book series, mainly because I've read the series and Marie (laughs) has watched the Netflix show. Keeping on with our usual, our research is ad hoc on an ad hoc basis. Um, Yeah, and I've almost finished The Last Wish, which is at least in whatever version collection I'm reading is the first book. Um, It covers most of what I think happens in um, the series. There's a couple more bits that I assume are from later parts. So I'm obviously reading that in English. Michael has read this in Polish, although he admitted to me off off camera, off, off microphone, that maybe his grasp of the language was not, you know, complete at the time. <laughs> yes, I have only read the books in Polish, and I said a seven-book series. I found out yesterday that there was an eighth book that I wasn't even aware of that came out a few years ago, but it is a standalone and not actually part of the uh, greater Canon. saga as a whole. We are going to be <laughs> touching on the source material, and other adaptations. I would say that this 2019 one has had the most reach in the English-speaking world, even more than the video games, which was first the probably what The Witcher was best known as in Canada. Mm-hmm. Easily. Uh, the I, I intend books. to play them. <laughs> mm-hmm. The books are pretty old. The Witcher is older than we are. The first short story came out in 1986, in a Polish magazine. The books, the main series came out over the 90s. Uh, It was adapted into a movie and TV show in Polish in 2001-2002. Oh, so not even that long ago, actually. Well, I mean, now I guess it is, because we're we're rapidly getting closer to middle age. But yeah. (laughs) The Witcher has been around all of my life, but I became aware of it in 2002 or 2003. I believe 2003. I was 14. I went on a trip to Poland. I caught a few episodes of the TV show, which the author hates. And I don't think anybody has seen in its entirety besides me. But it had a disproportionate impact on my life at that time because I had not seen a serious fantasy TV show ever. Quote unquote serious, maybe. I don't know how well, serious Well, the Polish that was... TV show is more serious. Oh, than okay. The current adaptation (laughs) what we had was like xeno warrior princess and a few things the lord of the rings had just come out Mm -hmm. in terms of budget far eclipsing what (laughs) poland was able to put together for this fantasy show but i fell in love with it i sought out the books 
got them all in Polish. Again, I have not read these in English. Read them, and it's very much a part of me as a teenager and in my early 20s that I really like this. And by the time it started getting translated to English, it was already a thing in my past <laughs> at that <laughs> point. I had been obsessed with it, and it was firmly set in my mind as something that belonged to being a teenager or a 20, 21-year-old. But now people are talking about the books all over again after the series came out as a very serious, adult, mature thing. <laughs> and it is a huge disconnect in my head. Uh, well, and I should probably say, obviously I knew about The Witcher from what you had said of it. Like, back when, we were, when I first met Michael, early in our already over over Skype conversations. Mike and I, ha Michael and I have been uh, acting like we've been in quarantine for a long time. That's just what happens when you live in Canada really far from each other. Um, so Mike, he, Michael had told me that uh, about this series, like yeah, pretty brief, pretty briefly, because it wasn't available in English at the time that you told me about. Like I didn't, I don't think it had been adapted. Maybe one of the first video games had come out. But I got the sense of like how dear it was to you, and so I, I kind of didn't um, engage with any English language adaptation of it because I was like it probably might not be as 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 good as we always think about with adaptations. And stay tuned for some adaptation episode kind of thing we're gonna do in the future. But um, then when it ca when it um, came out as a Netflix series. I also actually continued to abstain from watching it, and it wasn't until you said that you actually kind of liked it that I was like, okay, it might be all right then. Um, oh, I had so many mixed feelings when the first trailer <laughs> for The Witcher came out, yeah. because it's been so long mm -hmm. since that Polish TV show adaptation, which again, nobody except me likes or has watched all yeah. the way to the end. Yeah. And the first <laughs> promo images did not seem promising. And mm -hmm. I was like, am I going to dip back into this well of something I fondly remember, but probably won't reread mm -hmm. or revisit thinking that it will be spoiled? But it was a magnet. Uh, I could not resist its pull. A needle as it. unto a lodestone. <laughs> yes. And it was highly entertaining. I thought it was a very weird adaptation, but it was a very enjoyable and entertaining one to watch all the way through. So I was yeah. pleasantly supplied. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And it was after that sort of relief, kind of like, no, it was actually okay. That I was like, okay, this is something I'll put on my, on my catalog. And I only just got to it a couple weeks ago. Um, I can't remember specifically why. Oh, I remember why. Because you were watching a Polish YouTuber. Oh, yeah. Who... <laughs> Right. Who talks okay. about clothing, who did a video about clothing in The Witcher. And there is a, if there's one thing we could say about The Witcher television show, is there are all kinds of styles of clothing. And you did not want to be spoiled before watching this yeah. video. Well, that, you're right, actually. That's right. Because uh, I'd forgotten that. Because, okay. Now, am I saying her name correctly? Carolina Zabrowska? Like, is that how I should say it? I would need to see it spelt. It's yeah. probably Zebrowska, but okay. again, I would need uh, to see the spelling. I'll go with Carolina. 
<laughs> for now. That's Carolina. probably Carolina. 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 Yes. All oh, right. Meme mom, as she goes on YouTube, uh, who is a fabulous. Um, I have a bunch of historical fashion YouTubers that kind of get peppered into my uh, feed periodically, which actually is 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 because of you, Michael. You sent me that um, Bernadette banner video a while ago and said this. She's like you only, <laughs> you know, a slightly different person. I was like, yeah, this is sort of falls in that Marie Brennan sort of tripping way of speaking, but. Um, Meme Mom is is a lot more cutting. I think it has to do with having a certain Eastern European kind of sense of humor. Uh, and I also think she's pretty brilliant. And so as I was watching her video, she did has, have one that was a longer one that was her and her sister reviewing the clothes of the Witcher. And I had already gained a lot of respect for the, her level of research into, into fashion and her video making skills, both of which she has, you know, some pedigree for. And so I was like, uh, since I want to watch the Witcher... And I also really want to watch this uh, half an hour YouTube video. <laughs> I should do The Witcher first so that I can get around to it. And uh, I was snagged immediately because I was like, I mean, <clears throat> Geralt's butt plays a large figure in <laughs> keeping me there, I suppose. It was slapped right <laughs> on the promo poster. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, well, this is nice. Um, and I did not recognize that Henry Cavill also played Superman. I did couldn't tell who he was otherwise. I don't. I like I like him as Geralt. I don't know. He's fine otherwise. <laughs> but yeah, and and then it was just kind of silly in a way that we'll talk about and and very enjoyable. As someone who also likes King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, just honestly likes that film, which is a terrible film. It's not that hard for me to like The Witcher. So fun fact: Andrzej Sapkowski is a huge a huge fan of the King Arthur mythos mm. and has a bunch of short or at least one very prominent short story set in that milieu. And King Arthur stuff actually starts playing a much bigger role in the Witcher as the books go on. I would never have guessed from reading this first book. I'm like, Oh, I see where this is going, <laughs> which is uh, funny. Cause I've just, obvious. Yeah, I've just finished the Fionnivar tapestry as well, so I'm like, I guess everything's Arthurian legend for me at this time. All right. The initial appeal of The Witcher to me as a 14-year-old, besides it being a show that had lots of boobs in it, was having this medieval fantasy where suddenly the mages start talking like modern scientists. They're talking about modern 20th century issues, but they're the only ones who get to benefit from all this knowledge they don't really share it around and that first time somebody in the book or in the old show starts talking about mutations was what really grabbed me the it's... appeal now of the new show is that it's really funny <laughs> yeah. and for the same reason of having those juxtapositions of medieval classical sword and sorcery fantasy and very modern approaches to speech patterns and how they approach magic and how the politics wind around these various events yeah it's it's <laughs> the it reminded me actually of v for vendetta because and not because of like any tonal thing but just the use of like the word hormones in the book comes up. I don't know if they say hormones so much in the 2014, or sorry, 2019 show. Um, but it's, um, 
I like the the idea that like mutation. I was like, that's a weird like sciency thing for a mage to be talking about or to refer to in that way. So it's sort of strange in that sense. But in the book, at one point, there's a bit where they kind of talk about hormones, and I realized what grabbed me is I was like, okay, this was written in the eighties. That's I think approximately around V for Vendetta's time. And I was like, at that time, there was like the Human Genome Project was going on. Um, there was ideas about like what genetics would mean in terms of understanding people, but also, um, I mean, steroid use had been happening for several decades by that point. But it's it's the point in V for Vendetta when the V describes that like they used hormones to make him the kind of creature that he was, and that's a real weird kind of thing because it's like, well, hormones wouldn't really be like the best way to do that so to me it, it captures a moment in time where there was sort of a the 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 fiction expectation of what hormones and like gene mutation could do that we don't really have the same any anymore it's not quite uh, understood that way in sort of um literature and uh, certainly in, in science it's sort of different and stuff right now um and i i wondered if there was anything with like like, when did the Berlin Wall fall? Like, was this <laughs> written before? After well, the that? short stories are before. <laughs> yeah. But so I... the book series is during that transition from communism to capitalism. And yeah. it shows yeah, a it, lot. It really shows. And it, it was only recently, like, watching or listening to the flop house that Elliot Kalin nailed down the uh, dwarves are Jews kind of uh, parallel. And it is so much more obvious in The Witcher that that is the explicit money counting, the, like, Jeb, the, 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 I was like, oh my god, how did that I That there never... are pogroms <laughs> against dwarves yeah. in The Witcher universe. All this talk of mutations and genetics is a good lead-in to talking a bit about what The Witcher is about before we head into spoiler territory. For at least what's covered in the TV show, we are not mm. going to spoil the later books. I said we are not that kind of nerd to talk about um, plots in depth. And then I remembered, I actually recounted the Marie Brennan series in extreme detail. So I guess we are that kind of nerd. <laughs> well, you haven't read those books yet. So there is no danger for this episode <laughs> of the last few books being spoiled. The Witcher's main character is Geralt. He is a Vyjmin, that means he's a monster hunter for hire, goes out around the world killing monsters. He was mutated when he was young in a place called Kaer Morhen, where they make witchers, which means he's better at this than humans are because he is not quite human anymore. The first two novels and the TV show that uses them as a base are just episodic adventures of Geralt as he has to hunt down one monster after another, or he gets mixed up in shenanigans with mages throughout this world. I think it's a stretch to call The Last Wish a, wish a novel. Um, it's not. It's it's a called <laughs> a frame narrative was slapped on some other stuff, <laughs> but yeah. Well, that speaks to the error, though, it comes from, yeah. because in the 70s and 80s was when science fiction and fantasy had fix-up novels, and those were a common thing. Like, iRobot is a fix-up, mm -hmm. for example, where you would take a bunch of short stories, put a framing narrative around them, and call it a day. Mm -hmm. 
The last wish is that The Sword of Destiny, the second book, is just a collection of short stories. And in a strange publishing twist of events, Sword of Destiny was published first. (laughs) Because The Last Wish was earlier released under the name Viejmine as a different short story collection, which was never put out in English in that particular form. The actual plot that this show concerns itself with does not happen until the last two short stories of the Sword of Destiny. Which reflects the the, the narrative style of the TV show, where it's a whole lot of B-plots going on for a while, and then in the last couple episodes, oh, you wanted the A story? Here it is. (laughs) So as for summary, that's all we're going to give you. We're going to move into spoiler territory now, because... (laughs) As Marie has already started on, we're talking about how this adapts yeah. two books of short stories into a television show. I mean, the obvious way to adapt two books of short stories is to take the short stories and make them one or two parter episodes mm-hmm. and call it a day. Yeah. The Witcher is in a unique position that we have two books of short stories and then an extended novel saga that comes after that with books that are very interconnected with each other and tell a very long overarching plot and obviously the showrunners did not want to do a giant shift from episodic stuff suddenly to a giant saga so they have tried to structure the witcher to be part of that saga form while still adapting the short stories by kind of adapting some of the short stories, taking a bunch of backstory, shoving it in, telling everything out of order, yeah, and calling it a day. They really wanted a ensemble cast political machination show using source material that is almost exclusively focused on one character going on adventures. Yeah. This is, I think, you talking about the, let's make this the next Game of Thrones, and it's just, it's just not that. It's <laughs> Well, I don't think that's what the showrunners ever intended. They were trying to make something that fit with the style of the rest of the book series using the source material. Yeah. The way they went about it... Uh, is extremely chaotic, and if there's another word I would use to sum up The Witcher 2019 TV show, it is excess. Yeah, but I think it works really well is the thing, because it's it's extremely entertaining. Like, Final Judgment's already here, I guess, but it's it's a good time as far as I'm concerned. I don't have the nostalgia to fight against the way you do. I think there might be something kind of appealing, particularly if you're thinking of of the production company of Netflix, looking at, will this show work? Having something that's like a bunch of, that's just kind of an assortment at the, a bit, at the beginning before it really launches into like a bigger story might be a way to sort of test out ways of writing and ways of like just shooting this. I mean, depending on what, you know, filming looks like in the next couple of years with the the current, like, massive pandemic going on and stuff, it's, uh, we'll see how it all, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think that, 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 that whole thing might, that whole setup might be attractive just, like, to try out something, um, 
Particularly since they they don't have the same budget as HBO. So, uh, and you can tell. They bull through two books in eight episodes, which is not a long run for a television show. And they do this by jumping around timelines and just stuffing as much as possible as they can into each one, which is part of the reason why it goes by so quickly and is so enjoyable because you're just left breathless. Yeah, it's it's like an abridged anime because it's just there's so much plot. It can't really stop. So you can't get like stuck with nothing much going on. Um, But I I appreciate that they didn't do, like, timestamps telling you back 100 years ago or or back, like, 10 years ago or however long it's supposed to be. And they just sort of, like, let you figure it out based on, like, what Geralt's wearing, (laughs) kind of, or sort of what's happening. Because I had heard about the the timeline jumping around and people being confused watching it because it doesn't hold your hand to tell you when things are happening. It's just context clues only. Um, but then I remembered that fact partway through and I was like, oh yeah, no wonder I'm like, where the hell is this woman? <laughs> like partway, partway through this story. Yeah. Some people reacted extremely poorly to this nonlinear form of storytelling in a show. Mm-hmm. In part because a lot of television shows don't do this. This is a style you're much more likely to find in film, but It is nice that a show doesn't sit back to try to explain every single thing to you and repeat it over and over again. The Witcher trusts you to be able to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. A lot of people did not. I think so. But considering how successful this was, I think more people were able to follow than didn't. And I think it's probably they relied that even though... I'm sure, I think Netflix was trying to like grab the people hungry for Game of Thrones that were that didn't have that to watch anymore. Probably the people making the show were sort of counting on a big part of the fan base knowing the stories already, um, of which I wasn't one. And then when I for me because I just read The Last Wish, uh, like just yesterday finished it. Um, I just. Um, I was like, wow, like, actually all of this is in there pretty well. There's a couple of, like, jokes that are missed. There's a couple of, like, nuances, like, around um, the insurance, around the building that gets destroyed by the djinn and stuff. I'm like, that's a really, really good Terry Pratchett kind of joke. Um, But I see why they didn't take, they they took that out. And some of it, they were making a different... Maybe you want to talk about the tone now, because this show's got a real funny mixture of tones going in. That is the other thing that turns some people way off, is that this wildly seesaws between different tones throughout the course of the show. Yeah, I I was commenting to you and other friends that I was like, I feel like Geralt is in a much more serious universe than everyone else. Even people doing things like Yennefer going into battles and stuff. I just feel like Geralt, who's also, you know, has a Batman voice for no reason that I can figure out why. I guess his mutations wrecked his throat? I don't know. <laughs> um, and it's just... Whereas Yaskir, which would be Dandelion in, in the books, is 
Definitely like just well, a moment. Yaskier in the books. Uh, okay, sorry. Well, dandelion for the English English yes. language peoples. And I don't know, does Yaskier actually mean dandelion? Yes. Okay, so they just translated the name. Give it over. <laughs> uh, so Yaskier's clearly just like a millennial. Like you expect him to text or something any minute just with the way he talks. But it's perfect because he's so... I think it captures... There's a comment that Neneke makes about um, Geralt and Yaskier and saying that they are opposite each other. I'm like, yeah, they are opposite each other. It's really great. The thing about the short stories is that they're very funny. The books are less funny than the stories, but the TV show, at least in its first season, really leans into the, this is humorous stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of just as you said, Terry Pratchett-like jokes in those original short stories. And they carry over into the show. And if you go and watch, like, super cuts of just, like, Gerald and Yaskier, um, they're great! And I'm like, there is actually so much comedy going on between these characters. It's wonderful. And just, Gerald as a character is a good straight man character. And even at the in the very first episode, when he's talking with... Um, uh, Renfrey, Shrike. Renfrey. Um, and, and he has the exact same reaction to her as the Strykevor of, hmm, you want me to kill so-and-so? And kind of smiling a bit. It's it's funny. It's like a big... That would be like a stage comedy way of having the exact same kind of thing happen to set it up so that the audience standing there can laugh at it. So it's it's that kind of um, lighter melodrama parts. Um, and that really comes across, I, uh, maybe this is the right time to shift into, like, the sound? Because the uh, music, the music is great. We already alluded to the, the, the earworm song. And that song is, like, wonderful because it's such a meta song. And I think that establishes this universe. Because it's got this big, like, musical theater swell. It's got, like, these strings come in at, <laughs> at the end of it. It's talking about the world of the witcher from perspective that could not be like within the world and yet it, they also sing it in the world that like taught at, at least like the ref- the initial part of the refrain so it's used as like no no he actually sings this this is his actual song so and then everything else like i uh, think i said already same sound as king arthur legend of the sword with all those inception browns at the bottom video game noises but it's it's great like this is a thing i just have on a playlist somewhere because i am that kind of nerd <laughs> yeah, the music is excellent the in-universe music is the best part yeah as opposed to the orchestral score no where it's at is where yes is actually singing stuff yeah yeah now, we have this non-linear adaptation. You might wonder, are there other ways you could have adapted The Witcher? The answer is, yes, we've seen it, which is the old television show, which does the much more standard. We start with Geralt as a kid and take it step by step, filling in the various gaps between the stories to make a more coherent narrative until the end. But where this comes in when comparing it to the new show is they both adapt the same stories and focus on completely different parts largely because of budget (laughs) so (laughs) where 2019 vhv goes is it just beelines right towards the stuff that's the most excessive 
requires the most action, the most people, the most effects that goes on that. In the old Polish TV show, they write around those plot lines <laughs> so that they don't need to spend money on them. Yeah, a lot of which like... Which is why I've... <laughs> it's a lot of that, that candelabra just fell just off stage kind of thing going on. <laughs> so I've told this to people multiple times. If you were to take the 2002 Polish TV show, the 2019 Netflix show, and smush them together you would basically get what the books are. Well, that's kind of nice. That's your complete adaptation is those two together. <laughs> it's And I mean, in terms of costuming, the Polish show looks more coherent from those stills you sent me, at least. I was like, everyone looks like they're in the same time period, which is not the case for The Witcher. And we won't like go into the... There's all, Carolina already has a has a full video on like that, <laughs> so we don't need to talk about how some people are in thirties like uh, style, some people are in you know Victorian eighteen twenties styles, and some people are in like medieval styles, and it doesn't make any sense. But I'm very forgiving of that kind of thing because I'm like it's a fantasy, like it's already a dragon, so I can suspend my disbelief around like fashion designs, and it just to me it's just adds to the chaos of the like 2019 which is a little a little like you know just attention grabbing and it does it in as many ways as it can with um the color saturations although the lighting does have that annoying darkness that is popular now which could be for like hiding some effects but also just ugh, frustrating it's sometimes where you're like, my screen is at full brightness and I still can't see what the hell is going on because this main character is wearing black. So, <laughs> yeah. That so. really leads well into the expectations from the promotional material for The Witcher versus what we actually got. Because you have those desaturated scenes in the television show and that's what they chose to put front and center in the trailers and promotional material leading up to the show. So the people who were doing marketing were really going for that crowd that was super disappointed with the ending of Game of Thrones mm -hmm. and wanted the same thing, but without a shitty ending. Yeah. Now and you get a led... chaotic beginning. So... <laughs> that led to some really extreme negative reactions to the witcher when it came out because what the showrunners made was definitely we're gonna do the opposite style of fantasy from game of thrones mm -hmm. so instead of the dark desaturated look being most of the show actually the witcher is super colorful mm -hmm. i mean as i've said before everything is excessive everything looks excessive fairy tale castles mixed with all kinds of monsters all kinds of clothing styles all kinds of architectural styles every scene in full daylight feels like it's slapping you in the face repeatedly it's not quite as bad as like a 1990s music video where the contrast turned super up but it's very bright and like yaskir is again the like heart and soul of the show because his costumes are just beyond everything and i think that sort of captures it and Geralt, you know at, at the very at the very beginning of the timeline he's got real cruddy costumes which is bad enough that every the other characters are commenting on it and then it gets 
mildly nicer. Just, you know, we throw some rivets in there and get something a little bit more polished. Um, but yeah, bright, brightness. The, the Now, I gotta say, because obviously people who have listened to this podcast before may know that there's a particular creature that I have an affection for, which is the dragon. I will say that was my disappointment in The, rich, in the Witcher was the uh, design. It's pretty small. Yeah. 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 I'm like this. Uh, well, the size of the dragon is not required to be large. It was more just the this animation. And I think this was just they spent their budget on other things and how much time they gave to their animators to do something is a question. But also the fact that the the metallic surface of the gold dragon, it just, it didn't look right. So that it just didn't look quite like it was actually there. I actually believed the deadish one, the dead one, more. Probably because it was like a still painting or didn't never moved. And so, yeah. Clear when there was the dream sequence later on using the dragon, they totally just reused some of that rendered footage and just repasted it in there. So to me, that's one downfall. But I'm like, you know what? Dragons are complicated. I don't know what kind of style or if there's more descriptions. I'm only just starting the the Sword of Destiny book, so I'm only just on that story to see what the description they were working off of was, because it's very sort of smoother looking than you see a lot of dragons being, and I think that might be what it is. Yeah. Well, it looks better than the 2002 show's <laughs> Techno Dragon, which looked awful in 2002 and looks even worse in 2020. Yeah, but the thing with that, like, okay, also we talked about how, like, we're still having a transition out of communism in Poland. This is probably, like, part of that sort of, like, funding things going on. But, like, Dragonheart happened, right? So we do know that dragons could have been rendered in pretty well back in the day. And I'm sort of surprised that, like, Netflix screwed it up. Because I'm, like, I'm like, a dragon shouldn't really be that hard, I'd think. Um... But it might be, it's, this is probably something like with production and what the animators had time for and could do and what engines they were doing and stuff. It's usually the amount of time given to the animators that have, that has to do with this. And it's not usually the skill of the animation, but just, just the amount of time they have to actually work on reflections and lighting on things and textures and all that stuff. It's also the style of the show because they're like, we'll just show this dragon in full lighting, which if you don't really have the um, budget or time to do that, Mm -hmm. putting animated figures into full lighting takes a lot of time and effort to do right. Again, with the old show, often they would just have the monsters in shadow or just Mm -hmm. out of frame to avoid doing this. But in the style of 2019's The Witcher, everything slapping you in the face full frontal. And sometimes you don't have the render farms that could really pull that off. But they did it anyway. Yeah, and it's it's the only time when I'd say, like, the effects bothered me. Like, I, like, the Striga probably also helped by the fact that there's way more darkness in those scenes. Um, was really good looking. I actually like the design changes they did on that monster from the description in the book. I think that, like, the umbilical cord was a really great actual storytelling thing going on there. So, yeah. Yeah. So we did not get Game of Thrones 2.0. Nope. Which is what they were really driving for in the promo materials. On the other hand, 2019 was the 
perfect year to release something like this. Because mm-hmm. the groundwork had been laid that you can make a fantasy show and there is a more diverse range of subjects that you can make it about and people will now watch it and not just dismiss it because it has dragons in it right out of hand. Yeah. And you can thank Game of Thrones for that. Yeah. Well, we can go f- pretty far back and like probably start with like the original Lord of the Rings movies. And there's been a kind of history of fantasy becoming franchises, becoming mainstream. Like that's a that this is a part of. And I think this is <laughs> it's sort of funny to me because it's so pulpy, right? Like this is a sword and sorcery kind of storytelling, and it's grabbing on to the like tail feathers of this like historical high epic fantasy, which has for some reason become the fantasy that people prefer even though it's actually i think i think like the tolkien and george rr R. martin kind of fantasy is actually much harder to get into and less you're a fantasy nerd i feel like sword and sorcery is a little bit easier going just because it's kind of like not as stressed about having a consistent sort of odyssey like tone the whole time um, but yeah it's just it's kind of great because maybe then other other things that are as fun and enjoyable can also like come about i mean we haven't really seen sort of this sort of thing since like the 80s because there was movies like dragon slayer and like which i haven't actually seen but like there was more fantasy junk going on in the 80s so we might get like fantasy junk which is just fun stuff in 20 years no one will might necessarily remember but yeah (laughs) yeah because this is an adaptation of short stories a lot of it is character focused so we've mainly been talking about the visual and audio and structural style of the show. But a lot of what carries this adaptation of The Witcher is the acting. Mm-hmm. Particularly Henry Cavill as Geralt, who I did not expect to be this good mm-hmm. in that role. And we see far too little of him yeah. in this show because it's an ensemble cast piece. Mm-hmm. He is so good in this yeah. role. He's not quite playing the Geralts of the first two books. They kind of take the, what the character becomes later on and bring that uh, world wariness yeah. over into the earlier episodes. Yeah. So Henry Cavill, in every story he gets pulled into as Geralt, looks like he does not want to be there. Yeah, And his facial expressions are so good yeah oh man especially that scene when he's in the bath he just has that real hurt look that he gives yaskir it's just it's priceless to quote a, a random youtube comment i watched uh watched saw it's like hey remember when we were all concerned about this casting and it's like yeah people did wonder because i mean i think that's partly because superman's a very different kind of character obviously that's a straight laced sort of person and and this directed by a much less humor yeah filled director yeah oh god him let's not talk about that but uh then but henry cavill is fortunately a huge nerd as shown by how he's been spending this pandemic playing painting warhammer figurines and and similar things and it it shows how much because i think you have to be to really sell this kind of character. Like, you could be not a nerd. Like, Ian McKellen, prior to, like, being in The Lord of the Rings, might not necessarily have been, like, into fantasy. But he's such a good actor and kind of got 
to know got to, to portray Gandalf in a certain way that it, that worked really well. I don't know if Henry Cavill is that good an actor, but if he's if he's not, which I think is probably it's probably not that that controversial to say that I think Ian McKellen might be a better actor than Henry Cavill. <laughs> I think that's fine. Uh, but uh, Henry Cavill's love of the source material and desire to be this character as much as he can helps carry it quite a bit. So Henry Cavill is basically the only known actor mm-hmm. who was in this show. Everybody else is an up-and-comer. Mm-hmm. Who got cast, which probably helped with that budget consideration yeah. right there. But the guy they picked for Yaskier, yeah. that was some spot on casting. He captures that character so well. Yeah, especially the like, what are, what are you looking for? Blessed silence. Yeah, um, I don't really go in for that, kind of. He reminds me of Stephen Merchant's version of Wheatley from Portal 2. Like, it's the same kind of, like, in the initial Wheatley. Spoiler alert, Wheatley had go, undergoes a change in Portal 2. But uh, it's just, it's just magic. It's magical. Um, yeah, he does a great job. I th- I think, like, as far as, like, Yennefer goes, because I think she's really the other, like, main protagonist. Like, Ciri is there, but she's more like a, um, a, a MacGuffin, I feel, than a character. Um, Yen- Yennefer is... I think the problem is probably just the backstory for Yennefer and the writing, and it's kind of chaotic. Like I and I understand there's less known about Yennefer from the books because there seems to not be as much like history provided, so you have to kind of make something. And I feel like some of the tones. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's necessarily bad acting. I just think it's maybe this. Maybe the script decisions are not as strong for her. And we have some things to say about, like, Yennefer's storyline in particular. But, I don't know, I think the actress is doing a, a pretty good job with what she has, um, I'd say. The the main thing with the casting for Yennefer is that in the books, Yennefer very much comes across as a hot older lady. Mm-hmm. That's the look she goes for with her glamour. Mm-hmm. And they cast her to look quite a bit younger than I expected that character to look. Even though I can see why this actress was cast, because her eyes are, at least whatever effects they applied or whatever they Mm -hmm. did, her eyes are quite piercing Mm -hmm. and striking. And I think that's what they really wanted to have that continuity because how she looks changes as we'll get to since i didn't i hadn't read any of the stories when i was first watching it i was initially like is this like a moment for like disability studies where we have an actress who actually no as it turns out no that's all special effects very disappointed about that but also yeah there's there's we'll talk about that narrative in a minute the purple eyes are clearly like at moments, you can tell that there's moments when they didn't apply effects so much. And there are moments, particularly on close-ups, when they definitely have, like, done saturation and changes on the eyes. But she does have that kind of Elizabeth Taylor look, like, um, with 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 the, with those kind of... I don't know if her eyes are, like, violet in, in in actual life. They're probably not. That's pretty uncommon, but... Yeah, she she has a pretty decent look, but I the one thing with like how she looks because even though in this universe, and I'd accept that like mages might not age and could look young for a long time. That's kind of 
supported, could be supported by the material. It's just that when a person who also just looks that young doesn't, it says like, I've been around for decades. I'm like, I just don't buy it. <laughs> just like, I think that the line was delivered well. It's just, I'm like, I feel like if you're around for decades, like the book describes the eyes in a particular kind of way like that every mage sort of has this look that's sort of disturbing to look at because of their past history specifically um and i don't know if she has that in, in her like later form so yeah I mean, we're going to jump into this right away because <laughs> the witcher comes out in 2019 and as we said off the top of this episode the Vjedjmin source material is from the 80s and 90s and is very much an 80s, 90s fantasy property. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dip into that because there are some features of the source material that you might think they would try and cover up a bit or change for a modern adaptation. And instead, they just lean right into it. Yeah, uh, that might make viewers pretty uncomfortable and they're kind of leftovers from what was popular in fantasy in the 80s, 90s. That's not as acceptable now as it used to and be. And that's the thing is you can like say that it's from the source material. It's like, but you're making this now. <laughs> like, yes, you have exactly. script writers and they're not like they've cut out other parts that are great. Like the hilarious insurance story around the house that gets destroyed. They could have kept that. Uh, which would have taken maybe two or three lines to accomplish. But instead they put in comments like, it's my elvish blood that makes me twisted. And I was like, I had no questions about, you know, your extreme scoliosis prior to this. I just assumed that that just happened. And then it made, immediately made me go, wait, in this universe, is it the case that no, like, non-half-elf human mixed mixed people and it's so weird to say that phrase because it's really racist <laughs> uh it's like is it the case that like people that are that are like fully just like homo sapiens never have that like as i feel like that just happens and in a story where we yeah. talk about like mutations and genes the, it, it automatically brings in this eugenics problem <laughs> well siri is also part her family is part elven mm-hmm as well, which manifests in the show with the visions and stuff that she has. Yeah. But the books are very, end up being very concerned with bloodlines, as you might tell from the title of the third book, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Blood of the Elves. Yep. Uh, this is in Tolkien, obviously, mm -hmm. with hereditary kingship, etc., but because you brought in the genetics and mutation aspects mm -hmm. to Vjedjmin, it becomes less easy to ignore and connect it to less savory aspects of 20th century history. And the books do that. They mm -hmm. go there. But mm -hmm. when you bring it into this early part of the show, it goes weird places that the books didn't really go at this stage in the story and you could have easily left out and not affected anything else so i do question why that stuff is foregrounded so much in the show because it's one thing to have like some kind of story where you have some group of people that share common ancestry that are like gonna be the prophet or if there's like a chosen one narrative 
That's like maybe not so weird because that's a little bit social construction-y too. But to make it that... Like, really, they could have completely just left out that line about the elvish blood being the thing that twists her. Because it also doesn't make sense, then, if Ciri is elvish. Because it's like, clearly, that's not what does it in this universe. It's not, like, a constant thing. Um, And it wouldn't have changed any part of the story. Um, I understand from what you've said that, like, there's something to do with, like, elvish blood that has to do with being able to cast use magic at all. That's, like, a part of it, right? Um, Which... Sure, maybe. I mean, once you have a world where you have actual different races, um, then you are automatically going to have some racist stuff happening. Like This is as true as if you make a Dungeons & Dragons campaign, or if you're just reading Tolkien, because there's all this kind of essentialism that goes on. Um, but then, as soon as like people are like, as soon as there are like, half-elves, it's kind of like, but then it's not really a race, is it? Unless they're all, like, mules or something, which which doesn't seem to be the case if there's ongoing bloodlines. There's even more to it with the series because 1,500 years before the books take place, there was something called the Conjunction of the Spheres. So during this conjunction, humans, monsters, a bunch of other creatures came into this world which means that all of the human kingdoms are settler states Hmm. in the world of the Witcher, and that's also played up a lot. Yeah, because it's it's sort of there in the show about the elves that they've been pushed out. It's way more explicit in the short story that focuses on the um, satyr and the elves. And it's, um, it's real uncomfortable. Because people are like, well, we just live in the valley and you have to deal with it. And it's kind of like, I don't think that's okay. It's particularly like as a Canadian settler, <laughs> part of colonialism and destruction of like a huge group of indigenous people. I'm like, I don't think that's... Why did the... What? Why is kind of the thing. You you could have it in the world as a point of tension that you're critical about. Like, it could be a part of this world. Um, but I don't... The way they treat it, where everyone's just kind of like... Yeah, yeah, that's just how it is. In the books, it becomes more explicit and a thematic element. We're not at that point in the show that adapts this, and that's something that the show does not backfill in Mm -hmm. from later iterations of this story. But where we come to the 80s, 90s cluelessness part of this is that in the books, Andrzej Sapkowski goes, I'm going to talk about race and colonialism, I'm going to use elves, dwarves, gnomes, all sorts of things to tackle this issue. I am explicitly not going to include people of color through most of this narrative. Yeah, it worked really well and bright, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) This is something the show does try to correct. There was a huge backlash against... The casting choices initially, this was the other thing besides Henry Cavill, Mm -hmm. is a bunch of the uh, shittier fantasy fans were upset that everybody in the show wasn't white because that's how it is in the books. Even though, as I've already said, the conjunction of the spheres means that you can't make a geographical Mm -hmm. ethnic argument for everybody being white. Yeah. On the other hand, how does this manifest in the show is you got the one black palace guard who seems to be in every fantasy show now. <laughs> <laughs> and 
that's about it for that representation. It's like we're going to choose one person who's going to be. Well, the main cast is all white, like the main yeah. three and Siri as well. Well, um, there's like the... the person who plays Yennefer is not. She's hmm. Indian. but My apologies. Um, but she yeah. doesn't. Yeah, she looks white. Oh, well, and passing and, like, not passing is, like, a whole, mm. and, like, um, what's that called? Colorism is, like, its whole other problem, too. Um, but also then you get, and I thought it was initially kind of weird that, like, the bodyguards for the dragon guy were both these black women that kind of had this savage thing. But then when I read the story in the book, I was like, oh, my God, this is really yep. not okay. This is, um, it has that whole, like, Black equals sexual equals, um, like, backwards and savage. And I'm like, this is bad. So they toned it down a little bit. But they kept the casting there. And I was like, you could have... This is the other <laughs> the other part of 80s, 90s sword and sorcery stories from that era that carries over into here. And again, they've kind of leaned into it. Yeah. And particularly, I mean, it's not like they would have predicted that there would have been the the level of protests and events that happened like this year in 2020 for Black Lives Matter and those things. But also those things have already happened. Like there were the L.A. riots. It's not like this is new. This is just demonstrably not new and not new in America, for sure. But mm-hmm. it's kind of just, I mean... Like, when we did the Conan cast, we talked about how, yeah, it's super racist, you can kind of shelve that and still enjoy it. Uh, But when I think about that now, I'm like, that's easy to say because I'm real white. So it's easy for me to, like, just push that aside. But if I think about, like, recommending this stuff to a friend of mine who's, like, in a different cultural group that's, like, it's like, if I'm recommending something that's, like, actually, like, harms the group... In whether it's like a micro or a macro aggression, I'm like, I don't know if it's like okay. And yeah, like there's there's other there's other characters of color. There's um, I mean the there's the other mage. There's the the a couple of the elves. Um, like there's there's other stuff going on. The director was a female, so but it's it's I think like you're saying, does bringing on all that stuff fix the problems of the source material if you're trying to be very faithful in certain aspects of your ad- of your adaptation. Yeah, and again, it doesn't have to be like that with a and affect the story too much. But if you're going to bring in a lar- a staff largely made of women to work on this show, maybe pick a fantasy property that's not by an old Polish white guy. Because we've focused on race and colonialism, but there's a lot of sexism yeah. and misogyny in the source material mm-hmm. that just kind of stays in the show, no matter how much they try to write around it. And it's <laughs> like, yeah. like this is the Yennefer storyline part. That... Yeah, it's the Yennefer storyline, which is also not a great storyline for disability either. Yeah. But in terms of sexism, there was this whole mini controversy after the show came out where a bunch of artists were drawing like, here's my Witcher persona. And then a bunch of reply guys would show up on social media platforms and go, Witchers can't be women. That's a plot point that all Witchers are men except, uh, well, I'll leave that as a spoiler. But yeah, Uh, yeah. That only a particular female character could become a Witcher. 
And this was really odd because in the 2002 Polish show, in the second episode, they introduce women who are witchers. It doesn't affect the story at all for women to also be witchers. It means you don't get the awkward stuff in the blood of the elves where the witcher men can't deal with a girl first getting her period because they don't know anything about (laughs) women because only men can be witchers like this stuff doesn't have to be in there and that's also like weird because since it's like a medieval fantasy like it's you know it's in that sort of like way backy time period that's not any specific like era in, in like well European era because it's usually like a European medieval fantasy like in that time period I don't think that many males would have not known about female biology I think it would have been much more obvious maybe just like you know but the and the I think I haven't because I haven't read like the whatever's in the books for the back material about Yennefer's storyline but from just watching the show, I, I was under the impression that only women had to give up like their sexual organs for um to 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 do magic. It, it seemed to me as like I, I was going around being like, "What did the dudes give up? Like, does somebody like chop their balls off? Like, is that what happens? Because they seem to all be having sex. So I mean, they need the case, and they're all talking about hormones and stuff. So they would know they'd need those hormones." At least, actually, in the book, it talks about, like, these things just atrophy, like, magically over time. Whereas, in, for some weird reason, we have this, like, surgery. And it's this real, like, Full Metal Alchemist law of equivalent exchange thing, which doesn't always... I mean, it's only narratively present as needed, <laughs> like, for the story. So, I'm like... Yeah, because you don't need to sacrifice to do magic because we see Yennefer doing magic beforehand in the magical school. Yeah. She's sacrificing her womb to get the glamour to make her look like a hot chick. And that's... And I mean, that's like this whole kind of framing around women can only be desirable if they're, you know, attractive. And it's kind of like... Ah, this is Yeah, there's your holdover from the books where all the major female characters are either young people where it doesn't really matter that much because it's just a girl or Mm -hmm. an extremely attractive woman because that's the only kind that can be an important character in Viejmin. Yeah, and I mean... And it does the stuff, for, like we said, with disability studies where it's like Yennefer as like having her initial, um, like major scoliosis and I think potentially like clubfoot or something. They're not really clear exactly on the full full range of um, what her body's like uh, from birth. But it's just a thing like where she's carrying a bucket and she falls over because it's too hard. And it's like, I think she'd be able to carry a bucket. Like it's, she seems to ambulate fine, but for some reason you have to make it look like it's really hard um, in this. And I'm not certain it, it necessarily is that hard. Certainly I can believe that this society is not very supportive and would create disability where there doesn't need to be disability. Because that's like a disability thing. <laughs> that society just isn't as helpful as it could be. And this is not a world that I see people being very helpful to each other. So <laughs> that's like, to an in- in-world sense, makes sense. But I was also like, if you're going to be real powerful and have magic, what, what would it really matter how you'd look? And I was almost hoping that we'd get, like, the aged crone version of, like, witches and things, because that would be fun. 
to have like um older characters like do this but no no everything's tailored perfectly because that's that's yeah, especially because male mages in the Vjedmin stories well, in the short stories, explicitly make themselves look like wizened old men with long yeah. beards so that people yeah. will trust them. Like, why wouldn't uh, a mage make herself look like a kindly grandma figure to make people trust her? Well, it, it, that could also just be reflecting, like, men who are older are more trustworthy, like, in 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 in, in a general kind of way, and younger men might be more threatening. And older women are usually like outcasts in society, and so younger attractive attractiveness is how, as a female, you can navigate getting any kind of meaningful attention or you know power. So I can see that why it would be like beauty, but then it is kind of strange because I'm like, why aren't the older mages also making themselves look super hot? Because if they all did that, then that would be like a funny quirk of mages that they have this like narcissism. And I think that could have worked if they're all like as strapping as Geralt. But instead, the guy, the actor that plays Stregobor just kind of looks like himself, right? I would assume maybe he's aged well, up for Stan. Stregobor, not, it's not even a kindly old man thing in the show. He just looks like a dumpy dude yeah. who likes to hang out at his tower with his illusion of naked women. Yeah, like he's like, gross. He doesn't seem to care about his outward appearance at all and makes himself look like a gross kind of perverted yeah. dude. I'd... Like he's like he's just a real creep. Like they, I think actually the the tone they struck with that character was actually really good because it sort of shows like how bad mages are and how like not like moral they, that the magic in this world is and the and the whole thing around whether or not there's a mutation in Renfrey or not um, because the one thing that's good about that story is like Geralt's point of which is a weirdly kind of a feminist point of yeah. Only women that have, like, some magical thing around them could be listened to, is what he says in the book. He's like, or, you know, or people are terrible just because people are terrible. Like, that's actually kind of a great story for that sort of thing. And it doesn't have to be destiny or, like, an evil female thing going on. Um, yeah. Yeah, in this discussion, we kind of already dipped into what I wanted to talk about next, which is how Vjedjmin relates to fantasy as a whole. Uh, where do we embed this in the genre? We've already touched on that. This is 80s, early 90s sword and sorcery. People seem to not have expected it to be that when the show came out, but the show definitely tries to capture that atmosphere as well. Mm -hmm. And... For that sword and sorcery aspect, you had been talking to me off camera about, or off microphone <laughs> earlier, about comparing this to Conan or Fafford mm. and the Grey Mouser or stuff like that, at least in these initial stages. I mean, the one that, I think that probably the Conan thing comes up because Conan is so episodic. <laughs> because they're all just, they are just a bunch of short stories. And I think that's what makes me think of it. Um, yeah. So this is the part I do want to go into. You've read The Last Wish. And a certain you... small part of the beginning of The Sword of Destiny. <laughs> was there some element that you noticed that was just completely left out of this adaptation? Um, 
Well, the frame narrative wasn't there. <laughs> well, besides the frame narrative with the Knight of the Rose going after him. Mm-hmm. What I mean is each of the short stories, or at least most of them, specifically is riffing on a very recognizable... Oh, Jesus, yeah, no, this is... You're right, yes, and we... we And this is another thing from 90s (laughs) fantasy when uh, Snow White, Blood Red, the anthology came out, Mm -hmm. and Jane Yolen was at her peak of putting out these fairy tale retelling novels. Patricia C. Reed, like... yeah. All of that was coming out at the time that the Vjedjmin books were coming out in Polish. Mm-hmm. And it is very explicit in these short stories that like a grain of truth, beauty and the beast. No doubt about that. Which story yeah. didn't get adapted into 2019 Netflix? A grain of truth didn't make it. The lesser yeah. evil Renfrey is a combination of Rapunzel and Snow White. Mm-hmm. It is very obvious she is that in mm-hmm. 2019 Witcher. Nope. They don't draw any of those comparisons. Yeah. Like classic fairy tales, some Slavic fairy tales, mostly Western fairy tales. That's mainly the basis for what gets riffed on in the early short stories. Mm-hmm. And it seems fantasy has moved on from that. Sapkowski obviously moved on from that because the last two Short stories in Sword of Destiny, which form the backbone plot for this Witcher adaptation, is where it becomes its own narrative that stops calling back to fairy tales. The rest of the books don't do that anymore explicitly, besides the Arthurian stuff, yeah, which gets very Fionavar later on. Well, and this is like, we mentioned the Arthurian bits at the beginning of this podcast, and I said it's obvious where it's going. What I meant was that it's obvious that there are fairy tales in this, yeah. and then the granddaddy of fairy tales in like the Western canon is in many ways, Arthur is like a big one, right? So if you're going to have this somewhere, it's going to head that way. But it struck me as I was reading this, I was like, Michael might have the same nostalgia about this that I have for dealing with dragons. Because it does the exact same thing, where it takes these stories and it kind of recasts them, and it's sort of facetious in the way it recasts them, and it's usually kind of funny. It's like, ah, see, that's like, how was this an allusion to what actually happened kind of thing. As I thought that was really funny. And then I imagined what a, like, a, a, a version of dealing with dragons in the 2019 Witcher style reboot would be like. And I was like, yeah, that's a really weird thing. Because then I have all this blood and stuff. Like, when I see Kazool actually eat Zeminar, the wizard, and then, like, all this blood comes gushing out, like, it would be very strange to have that kind of experience with that sort of story. So I wondered if that's what you meant with, like, the mixed feelings. Because it's, yeah. Well, it's on the show for again being so excessive when it chooses to show violence because there actually aren't that many fight scenes per se Mm -hmm. in the witcher 2019 but what it shows it uh you said there's lots of vomiting in the show yeah they went for the vomit earlier yeah there's lots of blood poop vomit it's all there yeah again that didn't need to be there but that just makes even more Mm -hmm. of a contrast to where this stuff was coming from back in the late 80s, early 90s, and mm-hmm. kind of what fantasy was back then, mm-hmm. and how Vjedjmin fits so perfectly into that era. And when it gets adapted, not even 
by 2019 does that stuff get adapted out because it no longer fits this is not what people expect from fantasy anymore we're not going to do this 2002 adaptation from poland same thing Mm -hmm. all of that stuff is just quietly written around or shoved aside and it's sort of like if you were going to keep source material stuff why not keep that and write out the racist and like misogynistic parts that would be great uh but oh the power that is a that's a question we're trying to consider but that's also something where i don't know why that was specifically a 90s Late Mm -hmm. 80s, mid 90s fantasy thing. Yeah. Why in publishing so much of that stuff got produced just in that time period. And since then, we haven't really seen much like that. I mean, the since then not seeing much, I think it's because it's like it's just been done like that, that retelling for now. I think it's going to be another couple decades at least before there might be interest in that because you already have a lot of stuff that you can read about it and it's just it's more like cliche now to redo that as opposed to like sort of clever to like take the old stories and redo them i'm sure they'll pop up again at some point maybe even a century or two from now because those stories have been around for a while and they periodically might be doing this and they were just having one of the periods where they came up again yeah but that's how you can consider the witcher in terms of how it situates with the rest of fantasy it's adapting something from a very specific period and the questions you ask are why was this kept in and considered appropriate for the fantasy or just a general audience in 2019 Mm -hmm. and why was stuff other things left out and not considered appropriate anymore and why was it the fun fairy tale elements that were considered inappropriate and the weird genetic uh, <laughs> stuff that we thought, well, sure, let's keep running with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's one thing, it shows that the tastes over the years in fantasy, there's not really what we would consider a progress to any literary taste. It's just... No. Things coming into the culture and falling out, depending on yeah. what's going on. Well, and I and mean, having two adaptations and source material for Viedjmin lets you kind of go, well, we got twenty-year intervals basically yeah. where we could ex- where we can see what was considered appealing at the time for this same story being the through line throughout. Probably the reason why you have misogyny and racism coming through is because misogyny and racism are like ongoing problems in that we have culturally. It's not like we've solved those. So mm. they're going to continue to come up in, in, in literature um, as it's adapted. Whereas the taste for fairy tales has come and gone. Like that's, that's a taste thing. And I think like the deep <laughs> metaphysical beliefs that people hold about others that are um, immoral <laughs> like, are, are also perennial. So... Yeah, I think that's just like, yes. we're still but, not perfect humans uh, in the sense yes. of being good moral agents all the time. Um, but the way you frame it could still change, and The Witcher 2019 did not. So, after going through all of that, was this a show we liked? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. It, it's It's the same thing as with Conan, where I'm like, I wonder if it's maybe easier for a white person to be like, it's fine, than it is for other groups. Um, 
But am I entertained? Absolutely. Like the, 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 the parts that are funny and witty and exciting are still funny and witty and exciting. And if, I mean, if I were to try to find um, literature and only consume stuff that would suit my philosophical preferences, there'd be nothing that I could watch. Because, I mean, the problems that we see in The Witcher, I think, are problems that are rife in our society. It doesn't make them okay. It doesn't mean you have to be aware of what's going on. And uh, so that that's those feelings of what the hell you have at various points in The Witcher should be attended to. And as, and I mean, it's, there's, there's other things. Like I, I have said that like Gerald's butt has been a great part of the show. That's definitely objectification. Like it's, I, I am, I am also not like an ideal person in any sense. Yeah. So. Both adaptations <laughs> are very much into the Geralt lounging in a bathtub. Yeah. Scenes that just linger lovingly over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whichever actor is playing him in yeah. those particular moments. Yeah. But what makes this adaptation of The Witcher so fascinating to me is that coming out in 2019, it felt fresh and new and fantasy shows can be something other than Game of Thrones. Look at the possibilities mm -hmm. for source material or subject matter that you could use for fantasy instead of focusing on these narrow high fantasy series, which is what people were really trying to bank on up to this point since the Lord of the Rings came out. Mm -hmm. But it all looks fresh and new. It's actually just bringing in stuff from much older source material. It's just this was an ideal time to say we can do fantasy and we can do fantasy about all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So let's pick from a wider range of what came out before. Yeah. And I think actually I just just I know what it, we keep backpedaling to this, but Lindsay Ellis makes the point about I think it's Lindsay Ellis like between fantasy and sci-fi. Fantasy tends to be regressive in what it shows because it's usually in a historical old timey setting. So by fantasy, I mean this, this kind of sword and sorcery or high fantasy. I don't mean like Neil, Neil Gaiman, like modern fantasy stuff going on. So when you have this backwards looking thing, you, because you're also setting, creating a setting where there's already kind of tropes about how people interact with each other, you're importing automatically a lot of these assumptions. And it would be, I think probably a challenge to write that kind of thing that style of fantasy and somehow get that out without um, possibly being really awkward or something. I think possibly it could be done, but uh, I think you got to accept as a fantasy, if you like fantasy, you have to accept that you are probably reading stuff that's not great <laughs> on, on some levels. And I mean, I love fantasies and I have to accept that sometimes I'm a bad person as I'm just enjoying myself. And I think that's a, uh, you know, the way you can go on it. But I just really enjoy this. I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to make Corey watch it. So so do you think that Vyajmin will act as some kind of signpost for what kind of fantasy TV we're going to get forward? Or is this just going to end up another flash in the pan as people try and pursue the next Game of Thrones multi-million audience I have a feeling numbers show. I have a feeling it's going to really depend what happens with season 2 because I think mm -hmm. season 1 kind of came out at a time and then also with just what's going on in our history in terms of productions having to grind to a standstill right now. I think 
The Witcher will probably be the next fantasy thing that will come out again, because they're kind of probably the most ready to make more. And I think it's going to depend how that goes. Um, like, if it's still, like, well-received and, like, has views, then we might get more. But I think also that the thing is, is that because The Witcher is, like, sword and sorcery, and sword and sorcery, sorcery is not necessarily as, like, well-written as other kinds of fantasy, that we might, like in the 80s, have a lot of fantasy stuff that's just not actually very good. It's just sort of fun. And so I, I fear that that's probably what will happen again. Um like if we have an opening is that we'll just also get stuff that's not that great. Um Yeah, we're going to get the Aragon version uh, of this coming out like what came out all that stuff that came out in the wake of the Lord of the Rings yeah. that nobody watched. Um uh, Aragon. On that thought, so angry. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Yeah, on that thought, we'll go into our personal takeaways. We've talked about like the broad level about the witcher Mm -hmm. i mean as going into the witcher 2019 i had so many mixed feelings i ended up coming out enjoying it it's a property that can still bring a joy to my heart will i go back and revisit this thing i associate so much with being a teenager probably not in the book form because i know it's in there (laughs) but i will definitely keep watching this and despite all we said, I do want to see more stuff like this coming out. I think, um, I mean, one of the things that I noticed is, like, I watched The Witcher, and maybe it's because it's it's now, it's like August of 2020, and I was like, it was something fun to watch that was really good um, in terms of production, all the fun things we've talked about, and I blazed through it in a week. <laughs> Because it was so enjoyable. And then when I also went to go and read the books, it's even though they were new to me, they scratched a nostalgic itch because I recognized immediately the kind of time period of the writing and the kind of style. And that called towards the like older parts of me that like did sit around and read Jane Nolan and read. And I was like, this is just like the the sort of male version of that. Because a lot of those stories were, I think, written for girls. So I'm like, this is sort of interesting to see the written-for-boys version of this kind of thing. Um, So I'm going to go and read them all. Whether or not I'm going to actually purchase more of them, I don't know. I might actually use the library, because I'm like, I don't know how much I really want to support something that's going to get super racist. So (laughs) uh, we'll just maybe do it that way. But um, yeah, I think I would like to keep going. I mean, I'm making a Gerald of Rivia costume for Halloween. I think that sort of says like how much I'm en- I enjoyed it yeah. and think it. And I do think it will be iconic enough because it will be recognizable for a while. So I think this particular thing, people will like know about it in like 30 years when we talk about old shows and we're in we're, you know, near retirement age and stuff. And the kids will be like, oh, why are you talking about that? grandpa it's like well it was actually kind of like this funny random show that everyone watched wherever it goes who knows well the way you framed it right now makes so much sense into why i was like hit with a bolt of lightning at 14 years old seeing this because now i read jade yolen and (laughs) patricia c reed in these this past decade and it turns out Vjedjmeed was my portal into that. I got the boy version. You did. <laughs> when I was 14 and I was drawing fan art 
and try yeah. to get people to watch my VCDs from Poland with no subtitles <laughs> of this show. Uh, oh, man. I will say the first two short story collections, I said I wouldn't revisit, but I still really love mm-hmm. those first two books. I feel uh, like these... nothing much happens in the blood of the elves. In my opinion, the book's mm-hmm. going to get more boring and serious mm-hmm. later on. So that's kind of the part I can leave behind, but these initial short story collections, they're still a big part of what makes me who I am. <laughs> and that's never going to well, change. And I think like I get the sense from the last wish and from the beginning part of sort of Jesse that I might be able to reread these bits. Because they are just, again, these fairy tale retellings. And the same way that I can, pro- I will probably be able to reread Conan and will reread Conan with the problems that they have. Um, and it's just, I suspect it's just not going to be as like whimsical and fun when it really gets down. Like, as much as I talked about how Netflix production might like these initial bits to make this series, I bet, like, if season two is going to be the last bit of short story stuff that remains. And maybe beginning some of the like novels, like the actual novels. I think season three is going to probably start to drag. People are going to notice that like the storytelling style will change. And I think the stuff that makes everything really fun about The Witcher as a TV series will probably kind of disappear. But um, yeah, that's okay. I mean, that's not that unusual. That initial series are way more fun than the later parts of series. So. Mm-hmm. But I will say the girl version of the of the retelling of stories is way better than the boy version. Like I am enjoying The Witcher, but I'm sorry, The Enchanted Forest Chronicles so much better. That's <laughs> just yes. as we're as sorry. Jane Yolid is a better writer than Andrzej Sapkowski. That's just oh, how it yeah. is. <laughs> oh, and I didn't say that I could tell from the translation even that the language was not that complicated, right? Like. Well, in Polish, I would consider it well written. Mm-hmm. I don't think the initial English translations really got the tone mm-hmm. from my understanding. Yeah. Uh, like, I think they read maybe as more simplified mm-hmm. than the language that was used in those initial books. But mm-hmm. that is a translation discussion. I'm still laughing, though, at I think the bits, at some of the bits that are meant to laugh at. And to me, that's. There's some clarity in in the writing that translates, and that's important, I think, when you're reading something like this in translation. So, yeah, and I mean, I also speak to I could read this in Polish, yeah, and get what was going on. There were other books in Polish that are a lot harder for me to grasp Mm -hmm. than this. So that's been our thoughts on The Witcher. Yeah, we keep tossing coins at him for however long we've been recording this yeah some magic happened in the middle of this that we something well Well, if you want a behind the scenes halfway through i had an internet outage and we've been recording this over the course of two days which is is why earlier you hear marie say i'm part way through the last wish and then later she says i've started the sword of destiny (laughs) yeah when the internet went down in the yukon I was like, I'm going to go to the corner store and get the next book. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can find my various articles, writings, and previous episodes on onelastsketch.wordpress.com. I am on Twitter, Macedon, DeviantArt, and all kinds of places as One Last Sketch. 
And you can also subscribe to previous episodes on your favorite podcasting platform. Where can people find you, Marie? Well, technically, shrinkandexpand.com. Also the, also the link to the blog, yatrapexy.wordpress.com. Um, yeah, I admit, uh, you know I'm so close to like doing something with that. I keep making promises, but I don't exactly have ravening fans. So, you know, there you are. One day, perhaps. Until next time, because we don't have a regular podcasting schedule, we just do this when we randomly suddenly find out Marie watched The Witcher and wanted to talk about it. Yeah, much like The Witcher, things just happen, and you never know when it's going to happen. So, you know, toss a coin to, to your, your Witcher. Witcher. Oh, valley of oh, plenty. Oh, valley of plenty. Oh, valley of plenty. Whoa. It's when the strings come in and it just gets so, oh man. Okay, we gotta stop. We have to stop now. Yep. <laughs>